You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Y'all, the great theologian Jeff Foxworthy once said that a redneck's famous last words are, hey y'all, watch this. I think if that redneck could speak to us from beyond the grave, he would say another famous phrase. He would say, it seemed like a good idea at the time. It seemed like a good idea at the time is a phrase that we say it's generally associated with regret right? We were going uh, to do this because it seemed like a good idea, but then it just did not work out the way we had hoped. Um, For me, I don't know about y'all, but um, I've come across situations where the problem is clear, but my solution to the problem only makes it worse, not better. Amen, all by myself. It seemed like a good idea at the time. You see, To be honest with you, that phrase uh, in my life tends to show up most in self-protective situations. I make decisions based on what I think is the right thing for the other person that's going to bless the other person, but somehow, some way, it doesn't go well. And then as I kind of spend time reflecting on it, I discover that I was actually trying to protect myself and my own reputation. I'm sure I'm the only one in the room that does that, but you're, you're, you're welcome to listen in. So Proverbs 14 says something similar to it seemed like a good idea at the time. In that, um, Solomon tells us there's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. There's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. It seemed like a good idea, but it wasn't God's idea. We talked about this last week. We are created to bring order out of chaos, but we can't do that without the power of God. And so, uh, unfortunately, we live in a world where there's constantly pendulum swings, pendulum swings between, uh, in in kind of a worldly version, it, it, it swings between law and grace, or more specifically, legalism and cheap grace. For example, think of the um, prohibition law or amendment, the 18th Amendment in 1920. It outlawed the sale of alcohol, which seemed like a, a decent measure, culturally speaking. But what was the pendulum swing? The pendulum swing was into speakeasies and organized crime mobs that sold bootleg liquor. So it seemed like a good idea, but its end was a culture of death. Or think about the outwardly sexually restrictive nature of the 1940s and 50s. That was kind of a legalism, but it swung into an anything-goes era of free love that we call the 60s and 70s. And then my boomer parents and their generation who lived through the 60s and 70s swung back into parenting in a style that we now call purity culture, which is kind of legalism, like be very careful, you know, don't, don't touch a girl's hand because, I don't know, maybe she has cooties. 
But then it swung back to where we currently are, which is a sexual culture that seems to have no moral floor. And let me say this up front. I'm actually not here to talk about sex or alcohol. I'm just illustrating that pendulum swing between extremes that we are so, pre, so culturally conditioned for. The point is, if you don't like where things are right now, give it 10 or 15 years and guess what will happen? <laughs> It'll swing in the opposite direction. For the sake of our conversation today, I want to put some definitions around legalism and cheap grace in a specifically Christian context. Legalism is administering God's law in such a way that you miss the heart of the lawgiver and you miss his original intent. So you adhere to God's law, but you do so in a way that you, you really miss his heart, you miss his original intent, that sort of thing. And then cheap grace is assuming that you can love God without seeking to obey his word. Put another way, it's seeking the benefits of trusting, obeying, and following Christ without actually trusting, obeying, and following Christ. Diedrich Bonhoeffer defined cheap grace as the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's grace without Jesus Christ. So our culture pendulum swings between legalistic adherence to the law and cheap iterations of grace, which ultimately lead to death. But discernment, hear me on this, guys, discernment leads to life, not to death, by calling us to be informed by God's law, to be empowered by God's grace, and to be guided by His Spirit. And that brings us to Ezra 9 and 10. As you remember last week... The Israelites have come back from the Persian Empire into Jerusalem. They've, they're Levites and priests, and they're, they've brought the articles of worship back to the temple. They're offering sacrifices to God. Everything seems to be there except for what? Do you all remember? The presence of God. Everything seems to be there except for the presence of God. And when you do something... And you expect a certain outcome and it doesn't work out. What do you naturally ask? You ask why. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that they asked why in the scripture. But picking it up in chapter 9, there seems to be this question of maybe this was the cause. Maybe this was the reason why the presence of God didn't show up. So read with me chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, The people of Israel, including the priests and Levites, have not kept themselves separated from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, and like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. I want to say that's a lot of ites. <laughs> and I want to say, if you're impressed with how well I said them, I took practice. Okay. Verse 2, um, they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the people around them. I want you to underline that line. They have mingled the holy race with the people around them. And the leaders and officials have led the way in, in this unfaithfulness. When I heard this, this is Ezra speaking, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak, I pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down appalled. 
Now, I want you to recognize what's happening here. This is the pendulum swing, right? The Jews have married foreign women, which they were forbidden to do by God's law. That would be cheap grace or, you know, just do what you want to do and apologize later kind of thing. But now it's about to swing over into the the pendulum swing with Ezra into perhaps some legalism that's not actually going to help the issue. And, And you might be tempted to think that Ezra is overreacting by dropping to the ground and pulling out his hair and tearing up his cloak and that sort of thing. But I would argue that his reaction makes a lot of sense. Think about it like this. 500 years before Ezra, Solomon built the original temple. And Solomon was seeking God with all his heart, and he offered sacrifices in the temple. And the presence of God showed up so powerfully that the priest had to leave the temple. They could not stay in the temple. Everything seemed to be going right, but the problem is that Solomon had some issues. Specifically speaking, Solomon loved security, and he loved women. The more things change the more they stay the same, right? See, in the ancient world, if you were a king, you wanted to marry daughters of kings around you. And Solomon took that to the extreme. He had a thousand women in his life, and 700 of which were from noble uh, heritage of the places and people around him. So what is he doing? He's forming alliances with the countries around him. Which makes a lot of sense, except for the fact that God said, don't do that. I want you to trust me. And so, Ezra is aware of this. Ezra is aware of 1 Kings 11, which says, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted. I want you to think about that word, fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David had been. Friends, I want to say this. Solomon really should be a great warning to us because he knew the Lord. He had um, a, a relationship with God. He wrote three of the books of the Bible that we read. And yet, I'm not really confident he's with the Lord today. I don't know that. I'm certainly not the judge. But what I do know is he ended his life worshiping false gods. And so let's start well, but let's stay faithful. Let's let the Holy Spirit continue to walk us in faithfulness. So Ezra is well aware of just how costly Solomon's disobedience was. He's well aware that Solomon's disobedience started Israel on the downward slope, which eventually led to this exile. Okay, so it, it, it may seem extreme, but I actually think his response makes a whole lot of sense. And, and the thing that you have to really respect about Ezra is he doesn't start this prayer of repentance by saying, God, they've done it again. They've screwed up. They've sinned. What does he say? We've done it again. We've screwed up. We've sinned. He identifies with his people. And in his prayer, he points back to Exodus 34 and to Deuteronomy 7, where he says, the land you are entering, and he's quoting these books, he he says, the land we are entering to possess is a land polluted by the corruption of its people. 
By their detestable practices, they have filled it with impurity from one end to the other. Therefore, do not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. So notice what he's saying. He's like, God, we did it. You told us not to do it, and we did it. I'm so sorry. But eventually, a friend shows up with a plan. Now, I want to ask a question. How many of you have ever faced a situation that you didn't know what to do about? You didn't know what was the right answer. But instead of taking time to really step back and listen for the Lord and pray about it, a friend showed up with an answer. Anybody besides me? And how many times have you done what the friend told you to do only to discover it didn't quite work out the way you were hoping? What does your friend leave you with? Those terrible words, it seemed like a good idea at the time, right? So Shechaniah in chapter 10, verse 3, he says this, Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of our Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. I want you to underline that very last phrase of verse 3. Let it be done according to the law. Ralph Klein, who's written a commentary on Ezra, points out, that the law of God expressly forbids Israelites, to, it, it forbids them to marry non-Jews. It forbids them to marry foreigners. However, the law of God does not command that if someone has already married a foreigner, they should divorce her. So notice what's happening. Shechaniah is adding to the law of God, which is typically how legalism works. We want to honor God, but we wind up adding things to his law that he actually never asked of us. And in chapter 10, verse 14, we begin to get a, a better picture of where the people, uh, of the Jews are as a whole. They say this, let our officials act for the whole assembly. Let, then let everyone in our towns who has married a foreign woman come at a set time along with the elders and judges of each town, until the fierce anger of our God in this matter is turned away from us. I want you to underline that last part of that verse. Until the fierce anger of our God in this matter is turned away from us. What's the problem with that? So far, there's been nothing. God has said nothing about being angry with his people. So guess what they're doing? Just like they're adding to God's law, they're also presuming that God's actually angry with them over the situation. They assume they know what God wants without actually listening for the voice of God. Come on, somebody. That's a sermon. We assume we know what God wants without actually taking a step back and listening for the voice of God. Friends, self-protection will cause us to assume that we know what God wants or what another person wants and then leave us reacting out of fear without actually getting close enough to understand where the other person is. So they round up these people and decide who the women are, who these foreign women are that have married the, the priests, the Levites, and the lay people. And they send them away. 
And the saddest part of this whole passage comes in, in verse 44, the very last verse. Look at it with me. All these had married foreign women, and some of them had children by these wives. Their women and children are being permanently separated from their husbands and fathers. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario is they are being officially divorced and cut off from all financial help. I want you, you to kind of grasp this. To, to be a woman without a husband and a child without a father in the ancient world, man, that was bad news bears. You were up the creek without a paddle. So do you see that the pendulum has now swung from lawlessness or cheap grace, like it really doesn't matter, we can marry who we want to marry, God doesn't really care, all the way over to a mass divorce that sends people away. Friends, discernment is what frees us from the pendulum swing of extremes. Discernment is what frees us from a way that looks right but ends in death. Discernment leads to life by calling us to be informed by God's law. So we take God's law seriously, but it, we're empowered by grace and guided by the Spirit. Thankfully, hear me on this, y'all. Thankfully, we no longer have any questions about what God would have us do in this day and age. Right? Wrong. Correct? <laughs> Friends, in a post-Christian era, we are now living in a time where we are confronted more and more with how to please God in less than ideal circumstances, right? We're, we're, we're confronted, like Ezra, we've inherited compromises, right? Compromises we didn't create, we've just inherited them. But we still have to learn how to honor Jesus as Lord in this era, you see, discernment requires us to live in the tension between law and grace. I want you to hear me on this. It calls us to live in the tension between law and grace. But let me say this. We don't like tension. We don't like tension. We like black and white. We like clear-cut things. Why? We like extremes because we're comfortable there. It doesn't require any sense of dealing with nuance or ambiguity in our minds. But guys, if we're going to be a faithful and gracious witness to the world around us, and hear me on this, particularly as we get closer to an election season, if we are going to be a faithful and gracious witness to the world around us, we have to learn how to live in the tension between law and grace. And to live in the tension between law and grace, it requires three things of us. Firstly, obey the Father's clearly stated commands. As we said last week, sin releases chaos into our world. But sin actually does more than that. It deafens our soul, which the Bible says it hardens our hearts. Which really means, here's the thing, if I am living in unrepentant sin, it is going to be much harder to hear God's voice or to recognize His voice through His word. So I, I have to truly repent and resist the temptation of disobedience so that my heart is postured to actually be able to hear from God. I'm serious. Sometimes when we're talking to people that just can't seem to hear from God, and it's like, yeah, I read my Bible, but I don't get anything out of it, I kind of have to ask them, well, tell me about the rest of your life. Because if, 
if, if things are not in order in the rest of your life, it will make it harder to hear from God. Second thing for living in the tension between law and grace is we need to pray with vulnerable faith about both holy and unholy desires. Carolyn says, God never wastes a wait. One of the repetitive themes in Scripture is that God will make his people wait. Why will he make them wait? Because he wants to work with their hearts and prepare their hearts to receive what he actually has for them. Friends, were Ezra and his contemporaries' motives completely holy? We can't know for sure. But they certainly weren't completely unholy. I want you to hear me on this. When I begin to think about my motives, I have to ask myself, how often are my motives completely pure? And you know how often they are completely pure? Basically never. (laughs) They are mostly pure most of the time. And that's on a good day. So, guys, here's the thing. You say, Chris, I don't need to tell God in vulnerable faith about both my unholy and holy desires. He already knows it. That's true. He, he does already know it. But guess what? You won't know it until you bring your heart vulnerably on the altar and let God begin to speak. Until you're really parsing through it and saying, God, I know this. I think this is noble. I, I want to do this for this reason. But I've also got this kind of backdoor issue that's going on. Until you get that honest with God, you're not going to know your own heart. And, and here's the thing, guys. In the spiritual life, as my heart becomes purer, my understanding of God's will becomes clearer. That's, that is a principle of the spiritual life. As my heart becomes purer, my understanding of God's will becomes clearer. Sometimes God's, God will hide things in plain sight from us just to, to wait for our, the eyes of our heart to become pure enough to actually see what he's saying. I wonder what would have happened if what would have happened if Ezra had not just been honest about the sins of his people if he had also been honest about the motivations behind the actions they were going to do to correct the issue if if he had said God I know we've sinned we've screwed up and I'm so afraid you're going to send us back into exile I'm so afraid that you're going to judge us, and and Lord, we want to make this right, but we've screwed it up. Would you just show us what to do? What would have happened if Ezra had taken a step back and waited on the Lord? The last thing for living in the tension between law and grace, it, it requires us to believe by faith that God can make the outcome far more beautiful than we ever could have imagined. This is really different from... It seemed like a good idea at the time. This is trusting God with the outcome. Although it was forbidden for Israelites to marry non-Jews, there are several notable cases where Israelites did marry non-Jews. Okay? The most uh, interesting is the lineage of Jesus. There's Tamar who feigned being a prostitute, and that's just a whole other story, which, thank the Lord, I'm not preaching on that passage today. There's Rahab, who actually was a Canaanite prostitute. There's Bathsheba, 
who might have been a Hittite, we, we don't really know. And then there's Ruth, who was a Moabite. She was famously, she famously said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, she said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Notice this, guys. Because these women put their faith in Yahweh, God made these Gentile women a part of not only the royal lineage of David, but of the royal lineage of Jesus. He made them his great-great-grandmothers. I mean, how could you make it more beautiful than that? Far from needing a divorce, by faith, God made them a part of the family of faith. Friends, discernment calls, calls us to live in the tension between grace and, and, and law in such a manner that it calls us to life by calling us to be informed by the law, empowered by grace, and guided by the Spirit. One of the things that has become most painfully apparent in, in the post-pandemic world is our culture struggles to find discernment. They struggle to find the third way between extremes. Hear me on this from a pastor's heart. My heart really breaks for some of our own people who seem to really struggle with discernment. And, and some of us, we, we, we tend to make bad choices and we take the long way around. And sometimes I worry that we won't actually come back around. So I want you to hear this message as... Like, this is my pastor's heart for you, for you guys, for us as a community, to really grow in discernment so that we're not pushed around like, like boats on a, on a stormy sea. That we're not living in extremes, but we're discerning what is the real will of God. Some of us struggle with discernment because instead of being informed by the law, our hearts have become deadened by the law. We might be good rule keepers, and, but perhaps like Ezra, we know what the rules say about a matter so much that we've forgotten to seek God's heart on the matter. I want you to think about that. You can know God's law on a matter and not actually carry his heart on the matter. And as a consequence, we forget to seek how God would live out that obedience in a way that represents his heart and his character to the world. Unfortunately, deep knowledge of the law without the grace of God, will, it will cause us to make real errors in judgment. But what is worse is it could just make us very judgmental people who don't represent God's heart to the world. As a recovering type A rule keeper... Who got my card? If anybody needs their Type A rulekeeper card, I've got some extras in my office. Julia does. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Friends, God wants us to have vulnerable conversations with Him. If you're in the Type A rulekeeper camp, He wants us to bring our confusion about how to love someone who's making really bad choices and breaking God's law. He wants us to bring our, our, our anger to him over things we see in the culture that are wrong and, and, and in so many ways are corrupt. 
For friends, hear me on this. In these vulnerable conversations with God, we not only get a heart for God's law, we also get a heart for people who break it. You see that? You, you get a heart for God's law, but you also get a heart for people. People that may be not nearly as aware of God's law. For others of us, we lack discernment because we have struggled to have a heart for God's law to begin with. We've settled for cheap grace options, assuming that we could do what we want to do and just apologize later. Consequently, our hearts have been hardened not by legalism, but by lawlessness. We don't really know what God's voice is like in our lives. We don't really know how to distinguish God's voice in our lives from just kind of our emotional wants. And as a consequence, there have been times where we have forced something to be the will of God that really wasn't. Come on, somebody. But Jesus says to us, if you love me, you will keep my commands. So don't kid yourself. Love for God and lawlessness cannot coexist. One of those will become the ruling principle of your heart. Let me say this, guys. We are believers, not feelers, which means that we need to chunk the advice, just follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Seek God's heart and let him change yours. That's the gospel. Friends, it's time for a vulnerable conversation with Jesus where you tell him what's going on in your heart. You tell him the good, the bad, and the ugly. Repenting of trying to medicate your heart by desires that, that go against God's law and, and, and turning to Christ for an abundance that can only come through his spirit. That's Jesus' answer. But let me let y'all in on a little secret. Everybody take a deep breath. Fantastic. I want to let y'all in on a, a, a little secret. The vast majority of us are neither legalists nor cheap gracers. The vast majority of us are both legalists and cheap gracers. There are areas in our lives where we staunchly adhere to God's law as if it's the unforgivable sin. And then there are areas in our lives where we go, eh, I don't think God cares that much about that. I'll just do it. The truth is, is I need a salvation in my life that sets me free from both legalism and cheap grace. But to do that, I've got to live in the tension between law and grace. And let me say this, the tension between law and grace cannot be met. It cannot be satisfied with simply more knowledge. It can only be satisfied in the person of Christ. Hear me on this. Speaking of salvation, the psalmist says, love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Do you hear it? If you struggle with legalism in an area, you will always be neurotic in that area of your thinking until you believe that you are saved by Jesus' obedience to the law, not by your own. You will always be struggling until you begin to realize, no, 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 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I am made right by his stripes, not by my own. 
On the other hand, if you struggle with cheap grace, you will always be okay with lawlessness until you get honest with the price of the cross. Until you look at the crucified Christ on the cross and begin to understand just how expensive that grace was that is free to you, you will be okay with lawlessness. His blood on the cross was the blood of a new covenant. It was the blood of a new covenant. It was the blood of a marriage covenant. One might say that like the foreign women in these stories, we were born foreigners, separated from God, without hope in this world. And Jesus, the ultimate bridegroom, comes to take a bride. He, he gives us his name in this marriage that we call salvation, and we find a new identity in him. Now in him we see perfect law of God lived out in grace and truth. Now in him, we find a relationship that meets the deep needs of our hearts so that we're actually empowered to live in a way that honors him. The only answer to the apparent tension between law and grace is not more knowledge. It is a dynamic relationship, a transformational relationship with Christ that actually changes the interior of my heart. Friends, he makes the lawless lovers of God's law. He makes the legalists lover of God, lovers of God's people. So as you sit here today, what is the vulnerable faith you need to have? Hear me on this. Are, are there resentments that are built up in you? Are there resentments built up in you towards those who you love, but they don't seem to be living this life with integrity and honesty? Is there resentments in you that, that have been built up by what you see on the news and the culture around us? Tevin, you can come on up. For others of you, maybe vulnerable faith means finally getting honest with God about your heart's desires to kind of have it your way. You, you've played the, I'm going to do what I want to do and apologize later game long enough. Now God wants you to seek him with all your heart because there you will find him. Friends, let me say this, wherever you are, whether today you're struggling with the legalist part of you or frankly the cheap grace part of you, the altar's open. I encourage you to come and have a real conversation with God. Get super honest with him. I'll be over here to pray with anyone who needs it. Leave behind both legalism and cheap grace and discern what truly is the Lord's leading. For in that discernment, you will find not just good ideas, you will find God's ideas. And in that discernment, you won't just find God's ideas. You will find the fulfillment of your soul that you so desperately need that only comes in Christ. Stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we just confess we are a mixed bag. At least I know I am. God, we are a mixed bag somewhere between legalism and cheap grace. And Jesus, you call us to be holy as you are holy. And Lord, we just recognize we're, we're not going to get there through more information. 
We're not going to get there through shoulds and alts. And so, Lord, we ask you right now, by the power of your grace, by the power of your grace, make us holy as you are holy. Give us bold faith, God, bold faith to be honest with you about the things in our own hearts, to let you speak, to let you reveal what is most true. That we might be your people all the way through. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.